Hi there. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Longman's Football World Podcast. With myself, Owen Tither Jones, this week's guest is a Norwich City Football Club legend. Currently working as a, a talent scout slash player liaison for a big football agency company. Uh, we met at the recent Man City against Liverpool under-19's European Cup quarter-final. And then we headed off to a bar of his choice just outside Alderley Edge, where he now lives. Real posh area. Uh, maybe wasn't the greatest decision Gunny's ever made. Quite a bit of background noise, bit of music in the background, which we did ask to be turned down. Staff didn't, didn't quite take that information on board. Uh, but it's a, it's a good, good chat, getting to know uh, Gunny, getting to know his feelings of, of his short managerial reign of, of the club that he loves. Um, and obviously what was going through his mind during that, that really difficult time for him. But one thing he does do, he spots outstanding players like nobody else. He signed me on a beautiful three-year contract and I will forever be grateful to him for that. Hopefully you guys enjoy this is Brian Gunn. He likes to tell you if anyone will listen about his seven caps, his chocolate knees, his distinct lack of pace. Now it's a long shot, but in the long Legend of uh, what, what are we saying? The nineties and the noughties? Oh, come on now, come on! Nineteen eighty-six, I signed for Norwich. Or oh, the eighties? Eighties, eighty-six to ninety-eight as a player. Um, I had a short, uh, a short um, excursion back to Scotland with Hibernian. Um, I actually signed a two-year contract, but only I played twelve games and then broke my leg, and that was me finished. So it was my second leg break. So. That was in 1999. I think we've got um, we've very much got something in common then towards the back end of our careers. Yes. Both going to Hibs. Yes. And I, and I did check it out. Yeah. You, you were relegated at Hibs. Yes. Is that true? That was true, but um, in, 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 in fairness to myself, I went there when Hibs were probably already relegated. Okay, okay. That's uh, fair that, uh, Alec McLeese was the manager, just got in. He says, like, come up here and we'll, um, you know, we're building a team for next year. And I said, fine, no problem. Um, I played in 
12 games. Yeah. Um, one of them being an Edinburgh derby. Um, and we won 2-1. So the... Uh, uh, that was my my one and only Edinburgh derby, so I think I'm remembered well yeah. at, um, at, at, at Hibernian. And um, we also nearly saved ourselves from relegation. Okay. We actually accumulated enough points that um, we, we clawed it back. And it was the second last game of the season before we actually knew we were relegated. And um, that really got the, the, the fans going behind Big Al at McLeish. Um, I'd taken over from Ollie Gottskalskin, who was an Icelandic keeper, who was a bit of a hero. Yeah. But um, he, he was also prone to um, like Scottish goalkeeper type mis- mistakes. Yeah. Um, but Big Alec took me in there as a as sort of an old head. Um, I really enjoyed my time there. I was there with the likes of Mixer Patalainen, uh, John Hughes, um, what was Big Sean's surname, um, Barry Lavetti, um, Stevie Crawford. It was a good bunch of lads there, and um, so the idea was to come up, um, play for the play, play for the Hibs, and then help them get back up the, the next season. Okay. Uh, so unfortunately, when I went back up there in the pre-season, um, I I lasted two days in pre-season training and broke my leg. Right. Got the balls out early, and we had a little five-a-side game, and I collided with. Um, uh, the two Austrian lads we had and I got up and I fell down and I just knew I'd broken my leg again because I'd broken it in 94 so um, I actually limped off the training ground myself there was no we didn't have a physio um, on the training ground that day I think they were um, interviewing for a new physio and there wasn't actually one on the training ground so I managed to get myself into the uh, pavilion got some crutches um, I got some crutches and then what happened was Thank you. Big Alec and the coaching staff had come in and um, said, what's wrong? And I said, I've broken my leg. He said, no, you can't, you can't have. And I went up to get an x-ray on the same day I was met to be having a, a medical for the, for the second part of my contract. Um, and proved my leg was broken. So... I tried to get fit um, six months later. Was no, I, I wasn't going to get back in, and um, we decided to call it quits. I had a year left in my contract. I knew that Norwich wanted me to come back behind the scenes in the commercial department. So um, 12 years at Norwich against 12 games at Hibs. Um, I still had my house in Norwich at the time, so uh, it was an easy decision to make, although I had a great time at Hibs, I must admit. It was, um, even though I played for Aberdeen um, before I went to Norwich, the, um, the fans were fantastic. Um, the group of lads we had at the time were great. Uh, obviously, I knew the manager. He was, I used to clean his boots at Aberdeen and um, used to get a Christmas tip off them if yeah. they were... If, it was, if they were in good state the, the week before Christmas, you always made sure you clean them well before Christmas. Um, and it was, it, was just, it was just nice to finish my career off that way. Even though it was a broken leg, it was still um, you know, great memories of Aberdeen, Norwich and then Hibs. You probably had a different experience to me than my experience at Hibs. And um, you're talking about the fans, how brilliant they were towards you and stuff. We didn't really have that. Because <laughs> I think there was... Looking back at the experience of Hibs teams that had been relegated in the past, and then yeah. you get tagged with the worst team in our history and stuff. Well, yeah. we overtook everyone. You know, the the 
the feeling that they had towards the, the, the Who team was your that we manager? had. Terry Butcher was, oh, was right, the big Terry, yeah, yeah. Okay. Butcher was yeah. the gaffer that, yeah. that um, was at the helm when we went down and I didn't realise going to Hibs. I played against them home and away, realised it's a such a big club yeah. and, and you know an unbelievable setup, Easter Road and stuff like that. What you don't realise how much that football club means to, to the fans. Yeah. I think because of the area, because of Leith yeah. as an area, yeah. fo- that football club means everything to yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I loved it. I stayed in Edinburgh, um, you know, fairly close to the stadium. Um, you know, the family came up, actually Angus, my, my son, he came up and um, got some pictures of him with, uh, he obviously ended up being a goalkeeper. I got some pictures with him with Ollie Gutskalkin, the uh, Icelandic keeper. Yeah. Um, he's got. He had the Hibs goalie top at the time. He had the outfield um, top. But his um, his favourite player was uh, Barry Lavetti. I don't know if you ever came up against Barry, but Barry's nickname was Basher, right. and um, he was a proper Glaswegian, um, big, solid, thick-set um, striker, great technical ability. Could you know? He used to twist and turn. Um, and, and, and a great finisher and um, Angus ended up having a similar haircut to him right, and, uh, and, uh, well I don't know if it was copying him or whether it was just Susan was like went, went loose with the uh, with the scissors one night and it ended up like a Barry Levetti haircut so we used to call Angus Basher at some stages as well but um, yeah I mean the kids the kids enjoyed it I mean Melissa uh, she went to school um, there as well um, for a short period but we were sad that we only had a year 18 months there um, could have been longer and I, I used to go to away games when I was injured yeah. I, I knew I wasn't going to be fit and I was training during the week and wasn't going to be fit the weekend but I still go to the games because as you said the atmosphere of the fans um, it meant so much to them and I got caught up in all of that as well and, and used to enjoy the games and sometimes go and sit in the director's box where you could uh, but other times, you know, you'd go and watch a game, and you just sit in with the fans, and you know, it was it was it was great. Was Sunshine on Leith a thing then? No, not 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 as much. No, had, not had as the, much. Had the song been released then? Um, I don't think so. I wouldn't have thought so. So that was '98, so February '98. So I wouldn't have thought a bit so. Later on, it was a bit later on. I think um, um, we were the uh, we were the twins. What are they called? The Proclaimers. The Proclaimers. So it was more like you know those type of songs were back at the time. I don't think there's I don't think there's a better club anthem yeah. than, than uh, Sunshine on Leith now yeah. after after a big win well I think the wins after the wins um, you know the, certainly the games against Hearts they've won recently um, obviously the old firm games if, yeah. they, if they have a victory in that um, you know at, you know at Hamden Park if they if they got to a final or something like that as well but you know it, it's, uh, it, it does it, um, it sort of brings the hairs up in the back of your neck and um, you just see the passion that is sung with as well you know yeah. it's like a um, it's not. It doesn't seem like a football song, but it's just one that everyone. Just it just fits with the uh, with the environment. Yeah. You talked there. You broke your leg. Yeah. And then you knew you'd kind of lined up going back to Norwich and stuff. How did you? Because I was in a similar similar position at Falkirk. Um, got injured. What did you do with the rehab? Yeah. Did, did you rehab your, your your leg properly? Yeah. No, I did. And and, and I said I, I said that there was no physio um, at that time. There was a new physio came on board then. Malcolm Calhoun came on board. I don't know if Malcolm was still the physio at the time with you there. So he came on board and um, um, you know sort of worked with him. Um, you know, Yogi was injured at the time as well. Mixu was injured at the time. So we were actually at a, at a good group of rehab. We were in there. 
Um, we'd work hard in the gym, we'd do our stuff. But I mean, mine was my second uh, leg break, and I just knew that my, my, my kicking um, process and uh, trying, to, trying to get power and trying to, obviously with a goalkeeper, a lot of you, if you're kicking the ball, it's like, you know, it's a 50-yard strike. And I think it was just that process, um, you know, my leg challenging my head that you weren't going to be kicking it. If, like, more like modern-day goalkeepers now, passing it out from the back was no yeah. problem. I was able to chip it and dink it, but to actually distance, really connect with the ball, go through it, and there was always a sort of a lasting pain. Yeah. And um, I just felt it was fair on the club because I signed a two-year contract that, um, you know, and, and then obviously from doctor's advice, it wasn't going to get any better. That, that's what you've got. Um, I said, well, you know, I can't do my job properly. And, you know, the doctors agreed and the physio agreed and, you know, sort of left on, on that footing, really. But... Um, you were already rich from your days in Norwich, were you, Gunny? Um, I don't know. Rich in uh, rich in uh, games. Rich in games. <laughs> yeah. 477 games. Yeah. And um, probably 476 good ones because the only one anyone ever talked about was a game against Ipswich when I, I had a fresh air uh, shot on a pass back. And uh, everyone seems to mention that game when they see me, whether an Ipswich fan or really? even a Norwich fan. They mention it, and I said, "All right, so none of the rest." No, they just, all right, 476 good ones. Then that's the, that's my positivity. I'm, I'm always positive. Everyone knows in football, you don't you don't pass the ball back and hit the target. You no, got to pass it back wide. I, I'm glad you said that because that was part of our uh, discussion. Gary Megson was manager. We looked at the pitch before the game. We said, yeah. "Right, no pass backs in the middle of the goal." I mean, the Ipswich Town pitch was normally the pitch of the season. The right. groundsman won awards yeah. year in year out. And uh, Alan Ferguson, a Scotsman. I, know, I mean, I know everything about that Ipswich Town pitch now. That you know, throw anything at me about Ipswich Town is like Portman Road surface, and I know everything about it. And um, it just Robbie Ullathorne decided to pass it back. And um, I always blame Him. Mike Milligan. No, no, I blame Mike Milligan. You're going further back. Yeah. So Mike Milligan shouldn't have passed it back to Robbie Ullathorne because it made him pass it back to me. Yeah. So. I don't know if you know Mike Milligan, but he was always like one that um, he never passed the ball forward. He was yeah. always like screaming, he'd pass it, he'd keep the ball. He'd, I, he'd, he'd like, the second half of my career was based yeah, on that. There you go. No so problem. You must fault. have watched Mike Milligan videos then. So, Millie, I always see him. Every time I see him, I go back to Norwich quite a lot now, and it's, I always shake my head every time I see him and start blaming him for it. And he knows exactly what we're talking about because, yeah. um, you know, it, and, and the, the stupid thing about it was that we were on the front foot and we just got back into that derby um, we just equalised um, so we should have been going forward anyway and um, as I say he decided to pass it back the ball came back to me and it ended up in the back of the net and yeah I, I could say it's probably my most embarrassing moment in football um, I've got a, a Bruce Forsyth type picture there's like you know it's got the worst Norwich City kit goalkeeping kit ever so it just it just stands out and I'm, I'm sort of down, sort of on my knees, sort of thinking, just eat me up ground and, you know. But I'm led to believe after that um, goal, 
I dived into the crowd to get a ball back and knocked someone out in the crowd. Right. And he came out on a stretcher and um, went round behind the goals, went down to the corner at Portman Road to go into the medical centre and actually jumped off the uh, off, off the stretcher and started jumping about in front <laughs> of the Ipswich fans and um, they just took the mickey out of me. And I believe I, I, I went up and tried to take a free kick 25 yards from goal as well. My head had gone and I was just wanting to try and make amends for it. And um, yeah, I obviously didn't because we ended up getting beat 2-1. And uh, every time I walked down uh, the high street in Ipswich, people pat me on the back. And I believe it was in their goal of this, this, oh, the oh. century. <laughs> I think it actually won a, a, a goal award. Horrible oh, bastards. Yeah, those, um, those um, people from south of the border. Um, I mean, Norwich City fans call them scum, yeah. but you know, I, I've got some friends who are scum, so I better not call them scum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, do you realise at the time, you know, back back in, when would that have been? Early to mid-90s? Uh, that was mid nineteen ninety six. yeah. Do you, do you realise at the time this is something that could stick with me for a long time? Like, in this day and age, if that happens, you know social media, yeah. it's quite a ruthless place. Yeah, yeah. But I guess there's an element they move on to the next as well quite quickly yeah whereas that has obviously stuck with you for a long long time uh, that stuck with me until uh, last month um, so what's that 21 21 years later um, Alan Brazil and Mickey Quinn were talking about it in Top Sport were they they were talking about the big derby at the weekend Norwich v Ipswich and um Alan Brazil was actually commentating on the game and he said, oh, yeah, I remember when Big Gunny, Big Gunny did this and like and Quinny was winding him up and then I actually I actually tweeted into the show. Yeah. And uh, Quinny Quinny said, uh, Big Al, you know that Gunny's been on the twit you know, twit, the tweets. And um, he says, Oh no, Big Gunny's alright, he's a good drinking pal of mine. <laughs> But yeah, Big Alan, he, he couldn't believe it. You know, it was one of those ones as well because he's 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 doing the uh, the commentary on the day, and um, and, and you know, it's one of those ones. That people still have that picture. Um, it still comes out in the press before every game. Yeah. Every time there's a, a local derby, it comes out in the press. Obviously, with Angus being there this year, it was it was even more uh, more more took more prominence. Um, but I'm glad that Angus got one back for me because he went to Portman Road they won 1-0 he played well in the game and he finished up um, behind uh, at the end one of the Ipswich ends and the final whistle went and he sort of just celebrated with his arms in the air he turned round and he kissed the Norwich badge and yeah. that probably just said that's one for my dad nice, nice. so um, you know that's what I want Ipswich Town fans up with now is, is that and then recent, the more recent game in October Norwich uh, lost the goal in the last minute of the game, 89th minute from a set play. Yeah. And um, it was 94th minute, Norwich equalised, and, and Angus was right up in the far corner, jumping on top with the celebrations as well. So um, he's, he's very passionate. He's, um, he's he, he was born in Norwich. Um, he had a season ticket. He used to come and watch. He probably even watch you play. Um, and then you know he 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 just loved this his football and then obviously he, he went into the academy um, as a midfield player okay I was going to say I, I, he was as tall as you so I was I was going to say he could be the next Owen Tudor Jones but I actually <laughs> thought he was going to be the next Patrick Vieira yeah um, and it, Colin Watts who was like the head of um, uh, academy recruitment said no he's he's going to be too tall he's going to be too slow yeah um, he, and we he, can't. He could have been the next Norwich Tudor Jones. 
<laughs> and um, we can't see him as a, as a midfielder. He said, do you mind if we try him in goals? And I said, no, I don't mind, but you better ask his mum because she's had 25 years of me being a goalkeeper. So, And that's how it all started for Angus. Yeah. Um, so, again, just shows you that defining moments in your career. Yeah. Um, you know, as a young lad, he got, uh, he got told he was going to be a goalkeeper and he's still there now. Before we get on to Angus, because obviously you'll be a, an incredibly proud dad watching yeah. him flourish, watching him do what he does now. Yeah. After such an Alan Brazil, I'm assuming that he's one of your scum mates who you don't want to call scum. <laughs> Ips, Ipswich through and through, yeah? Yeah, yeah my Scottish scum mate is. <laughs> Scottish, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> before we move on, let's tuck into this grub before it gets cold, Granny. We'll Looks give good, you a little mate. pause. I'm having my duck egg. Come on. <laughs> let me just grab a minute of your time to let you know what is coming up this weekend on S4C. Saturday night, we got some football action. 7.35pm kickoff. That's a bit unusual, isn't it? So tune in to Espedorek. It's going to be a cracker, I promise you that. Second against third, Bangor against Connors Key in a Welsh Cup semi-final, battling it out for a place in the uh, in the cup final. I I can assure you, it's going to be a beauty. Blood and thunder. Tune in. Dylan Ebenezer is going to be there, holding the fort, presenting. I'm going to be there alongside him. Malcolm Allen, Nick Parry, Nicky John. We're all there. 7.35 kickoff. get yourselves chilled out on the sofa, beer in hand, pack of crisps in the other, enjoy. We're talking about Norwich, obviously it's a place you live for a long time, I sampled it. I think it's weird how people's perception of Norwich is an incorrect one, where I don't know if people think of it as this backwards village full of bumpkins, but the reality is very different. And I've got to be honest, when we met for the first time, uh, it was me, my agent, yeah. yourself. We met in Cambridge. In Cambridge, yeah. So even when we met there, I thought, yeah. he's hiding Norwich from me. <laughs> he's hiding this backwards a bit place. Like, a bit like Ken Brown was hiding the training ground from yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. But then yeah. turning up, training ground, fantastic. Yeah. But as a city, beautiful place. And there's a reason why. Yeah. Fergie would have said people go there to retire a lot of players stay on there don't they yeah well a lot of players I mean um, you know I'm in contact with a lot at the moment because we're doing a reunion game of our, um, our UEFA Cup run of 93 and then a lot, a lot of them are still living in Norwich yeah. you know so I don't I, you know we, we, we're offering them a, a two night stay in a hotel in Norwich but they live in Norwich so it's um, it's ironic that I've moved away but you know Robert Fleck still down there you know the likes of Adam Drury Darren Okerby who come from another era Simon Lappin I mentioned you know he's down there um, a lot of the old boys who played uh, Big Ewan Big Ewan Big Ewan and he travels all over the country with um, you know your Welsh radio and your TV to you know Norwich is his home yeah and um, I mean it's a great place to bring up kids um, yeah. some great schools there um, obviously the football team is quite unique in, in, in its um you know, fan base, you know, you've got 28,000 go to every game, um, you know, even in League One, when we, we, we started in League One, there was like sellout crowd in the in the first game of the season. Unfortunately, and, yeah. Unfortunately. There's too, there's too many of them there. <laughs> but that, that's, that's the way they are, they support the team and, um, you know, the season, then I imagine like, if they got back into the Premier League, they'd probably 
build another tier on a stand or yeah. they'd like do something different that um, um, you know they, they, they've had that fan base now of 20 24,000 season ticket holders um, then they've obviously got the away fans that go there so it's always a great atmosphere to play in yeah it's always a, you know the pitch is always good um, you know it, it is one of those clubs that they, they probably could do with being back in the Premier League now um, if not they'll get stuck in that championship middle middle group um, but the fans will still be there the fans will still back them they'll still go every week um, you know I go to uh, away games now and I was at a, a recent game at Barnsley away on a Tuesday night which was cancelled from the previous uh, two four night uh, through the weather and there was nearly a thousand Norwich fans there and they, you know, it's, they just travel they get on their buses um, they get in their cars they go on the trains you know they've got supporters groups based all over the country yeah so again they've got like you know hotspots in the northwest of England and um, you know they've got London Canaries as well so there's a big group down there uh, but you know that yellow and green is is instilled in them and um, you know they'll they'll support them through thick and thin it's a brilliant city um, as we've both mentioned you then took up after playing loads of different roles so different yeah. coaching roles um, yeah. ambassador uh, yeah. scouting a bit of everything and then you, yeah. you found yourself as the manager was that yeah was that always an ambition or was it something that just um, fell well, on your lap it, it fell on my lap but um, I can't say it wasn't an ambition because I did my first coaching badges when I was 23 so again going back to Aberdeen um, Alec Ferguson um, used to send us down to Largs which was like the Scottish FA headquarters for the coaching uh, badges and we'd be guinea pigs for the like, the players and the coaches so I just thought to myself like you know I want to be on the other side of the fence and um, myself and Neil Cooper who um, is a good mate of mine Eric Black who ended up doing coaching, uh, Willie Miller, Alec McLeish, um, I think it was Peter Weir as well, uh, Billy Stark, we all went and did our badges the following year, so yeah. I was like 23 at the time, so I started my coaching um, pathway then, uh, although you know it wasn't always a plan, um, I say when I retired in 99, Norwich came back to me, um, I actually applied for the manager's job at Norwich before that, when um, I think Mike Walker had left and I was at Hibs and I'd broken my leg and I was sitting there and I had a phone fax machine and I just sat there one night sorry it wasn't actually the Norwich job it was actually a Colchester job I applied for I was told that I'd have a good chance of getting it okay um, but the moral of the story is make sure the chair, you spell the chairman's name right <laughs> so I, uh, I got told it was um, Mr Pat Heard um, and I said how do you spell that and this was from a, a reliable press source and um, I actually put down H-E-A-R-D uh, so I did I did my facts and my application was all written out and um, signed at the bottom and then you know sort of CV felt that was ready to get into coaching and management uh, got a very polite fax back saying um, on this occasion we're looking for more experience thank you very much for your application uh, and then it, the, the last paragraph just said please note the spelling of my name really so just make sure you get the chairman's name right when you Put yourself down for a job yeah but you know and, and then coaching um you mentioned the different roles at the club i actually went back in the sponsorship department so i worked with um, people like andy cullen and gordon bennett who were the chief exec uh, at a time when norwich's um, identity was um sort of tarnished in some ways we had a we had a chairman called robert chase yeah 
and, and it was deemed that he was doing things the wrong way but actually he helped save the club because he bought all the, the land around the stadium which as you know now has all been redeveloped into flats and um, you know hotel um, obviously a new stand a uh, big car park for the and there's still some land there but that actually saved the club selling that pieces of land off um, helped the club even in uh, League One when you signed and that was one of the things that kept the club afloat at the time so um, yeah so I did sponsorship role then I did the ambassador role then Peter Grant came in as manager he wanted me up and I was like club liaison so again linking with the the non-football department and the uh, and the football side um, then Grantie left the role I was um, assistant caretaker with Jim Duffy yeah. uh, for a short period then Jim left and then Glenn Roder came in um, and Glenn Roder asked me to be his goalkeeping coach for six months uh, then Tommy Wright came in as goalkeeping coach and Glenn asked me to be his head of recruitment uh, and then when Glenn left the club there was no one else left in the building so I just said well I'll take the team today and yeah. we were in the championship at the time in the, uh, in the bottom four and um, I took the team with the goalkeeping coach Tommy Wright and Ricky Martin the academy manager you remember and um, we beat Barnsley 4-0 and first game first game easy um, easy 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 management's easy it was, it was easy yeah, yeah glass of wine that night definitely a glass of wine I was actually out celebrating on a friend's um, 40th birthday party and um, sort of cut the celebrations short to obviously prepare the team for the game yeah and then went back to celebrate the party afterwards but and then that next week was the um, the job applications had gone in there was there was interviews for the managerial post I think the likes of Ian Dowie, um, Paul Ince, um, Ian Holloway, they were all in for the Norwich job at the time. And I, I piggybacked on the on the back of that. The players sort of pushed me towards it. Um, one of the directors pushed me towards it. And so I went for it, went for an interview in front of the board. Sort of had a, well, the coaching team you know, Ian Butterworth, Ian Crook, John Dean as chief scout. Um, had all of that um, in place. And... Um, got the job and unfortunately we got relegated but we got relegated on the uh, the last weekend of the season so we were in the bottom four when I started we ended up in the bottom three um, I mean the ironic thing about it is we lost the last four games of the season one win one game and we stay up yeah um, but we never did so that was relegation obviously disappointment been at the club for you know, whatever length of time that was since '86 to you know 2009, um, and took took the blame for the for the relegation. But you know, the board stuck past, stuck by me, um, put me in place, signed six players. So you were the second, I believe, of the of, of, of the first six. Gilly I think Matty Gill was first. Big and and Matty Gill, Matty Gill, Matty Gill was first because he was a lucky mascot. So if you remember back, he had been promoted with all of his teams before Exeter, that, yeah, Exeter yeah. and teams like that. So he was a lucky mascot. He was a good football player as well. Yeah. But he was a lucky mascot, good and and he, and he and he was born in Norwich. Yeah. And um, he knew what the club was about. Uh, yourself, as you say, Michael Nelson, and then I signed another six. So that was six was with Neil Doncaster, and I signed uh, another six with a new chief executive who came in with yeah. David McNally. So basically built a squad, and I think. Again, the positivity I was trying to sell to you guys was that we were going to win the league. 
So there's your contract. There's your there's your League One wage. It's maybe not as big as Leeds. It's maybe not as big as Brighton. It's maybe not as big as a few other teams that were in there at the time. But there's the incentive. We're going to win a lot of games. Um, and there's your Championship wage, which was realistic. And then some of you were lucky enough to get a Premiership wage put in your contract as well. But, but the idea was get the job done in this first season. The squad's yeah. in place. Yeah. And then you'll be rewarded. Yeah. I think if, if I look back and I'm honest myself, if we'd stayed up in the championship the season before, um, I might have seen myself in a completely different role. I'm in my head, and I don't know, I'm, I've not really told anyone this before, I've probably seen myself more as a director of football. So, like being, you know, a, a, again, a conduit between the manager and, yeah. the, and the board. Yeah. Um, so, that was probably one of my hopes if we'd stayed up then handed it over to likes of Ian Crooker Ian Butterworth to, to take the team on obviously yeah. that never came so I felt that I needed to stay on and wanted to stay on to try and help the team come back up yeah and um, you know we, we, we all know what happens happened but, but we are, we will get to that <laughs> that opening game of the season yeah. um, because we have to yeah but the preparations were good weren't they you know in terms of the pre-season the games yeah. that we were playing at, I remember we yeah. played not not a first team, but a Man United side. I yeah. think it was a one-one draw. Carrow Road. We yeah. beat a Premier League Wigan side. Yeah. Because Roberto Martinez was in charge. Yeah. I'd left his his Swansea, Swansea. team to join yeah. Norwich. So yeah. and we were playing well. Yeah. All and all the signs were good going into that Colchester game, weren't they? Yeah, I think we played Palace as well, didn't we? In the build-up, we played I Palace. Played Palace away, oh, yeah. I think we, we we as you say, the, the preparations were good. One of the disappointing things for me was that it was deemed that the preparations weren't good. And um, I don't know whether that was because, like, I gave you an afternoon off in St Andrews and you were caught with a shopping bag in your hand. But again, <laughs> it, it was like, you know, it, it was one of these things that you, you, I'm glad you've said it. And, and other people, you know, people still call me gaffer. Yeah. Even though it was like a short period for some. Obviously, some had been a bit longer with uh, being in the championship as well. So I think there's a respect there for what we tried to do. Um, um, the the preparations were right I felt because again I stopped the bus um, we went to St Andrews um, I stopped the bus at the roundabout next to the St Andrews hotel the yeah. golf hotel Yeah. and I said look we got relegated lads we're going to be staying in these halls of residence around here but I promise you if you win the league next year I'll take you back to that hotel there yeah. that was like I always remember saying that and it was it was always for me it was like incentives and like you know it wasn't the right Positive. one, Gunny. If you'd have stopped there and said, lads, if you win the league, I'm going to bring you back so we play golf. That's, that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure I'm going to give you a day off if we won the league as well, instead of like half a day shopping. And, yeah. uh, but again, you know, it was a good bunch that we'd got together. I mean, there was a, a few um, nondescript signings as well. But again, it was, a, it was a need to fill the squad up. Yeah. So I, I, you know, we we had a Goran Maric come in for like, and he scored goals in the pre-season game. So if he wasn't going to sign for us, he was going to go and sign for someone else. So we thought, like, okay, we'll get him on the squad. Another striker. He didn't last long at Norwich. Um, big Jens. I don't know, big Jens. He could head the ball further than I could kick it. Yeah. You know, it, you know those those type of players. They'd all come along on a on a week's trial. And again, if you didn't sign them there and then, you know, but they were squad boosters. Yeah. And um, you know. In my head, there was a squad there that um, uh, was going to win the league. And I'll tell you again, after you get past the first game of the season, what, what I actually said at the end when um, you know, I, was, I was asked to leave. You know? do, you, 
do, do you think those we, we spoke about the pre-season how you know it was, it was a decent pre-season and the fact that we played those games maybe and were so competitive that we all just took it for granted and expected <coughs> it was going to be easier than it was playing Colchester at home in front of a, a full Carrow Road yeah I mean it, it could have been um, it, it, it was a party atmosphere wasn't it it was as if like you know we got relegated but there was still like everyone was celebrating that we were at, you know at Carrow Road and I always say like we, we were like Real Madrid for 10 minutes 15 minutes we were like passing the ball we were moving the ball overlapped balls going into the box and then after that we were real shite pardon my language <laughs> as you know I um, think you could use you know, far worse language than that yeah 5-0 five nil, five nil down at half time and um, shell shock don't we Everyone. I think shell shock and you walk into the dressing room and like you know you, you shout scream you, you ask a question and like um, I think it was Wesley that popped his head out I said like what's wrong what's wrong with you and he said we're tired and I'm thinking, like, first game of the season, you're tired. He was the fittest one in the squad as yeah, well. Yeah. And we run you on the Tuesday. We give you a day off on the Wednesday. And, you know, proper build-up to the game. And he said you were tired. I just grabbed Gary Dock's um, suntan lotion, lotion remember, yeah. and just smashed it on the back wall. And um, it smashed open and, like, I think went all over the suits that you all had on that day. So, <laughs> And then I think the last thing I remember was saying, right, you better go out and win the second half. That was, you know, 5-0, it was damage limitations. Yeah. Unfortunately, we went out and um, lost 2-1. But I think the most positive thing from the second half then, and again, taking positives out of it, was that Cody McDonald went on the pitch yeah. and scored. And that kid was like, um, he was painting London Underground uh, during the summer. And he came in to us as a full-time player and just showed you that the spirit, there was a bit of spirit there. The next few days weren't easy. Um, I don't think I spoke to any of you. Before we get to that, Gunny, the, the fans, because obviously you will remember the fans coming on, throwing the season tickets, yeah. which the, by the end of the season, the joke was on them. I, I yeah. look back at people like that and think, yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. just a couple of knobs maybe. Yeah. Um, everyone has a right to their opinion. But that, like, like that mistaken <coughs> goal against Ipswich, having those fans come on must be something that's, that stays with you. Does it make you regret taking the job? Just little moments like that? Uh, not at all. Not at all. Because I must admit as well, I was so focused on on other things that those two lads didn't register for me. And I know that they managed to get past stewards and they run down the side of the pitch. Um, you know, there's a picture there and, and you'll see the picture of me just standing with my arms folded. And Manny the kit man and Simon the physio were the ones that got to them first and, and stopped it and to be fair you know I, I I joke about that and I did it in front of an audience at Norwich when we uh, we launched the Tales, uh, Tales of the City book and um, I went on stage that night and I went into my top pocket and I pulled out two season ticket cards I said right are you two bastards here tonight yeah I want to give you your tickets back you know but you know it, it, it was just one of, as you say, it was an iconic moment and probably the moment that, you know, the board or McNally, David McNally um, and the chairman decided that, you know, it, this is not going to work, um, you know, we you kept, will have to you, do something. You kept your job initially. I, I was actually, I was one of the lucky ones. I don't know how I, I was called up after being part of a 7-1 drubbing, but yeah. I went away with the, with the international squad, yeah. uh, with a well set up. So I was taken away from the storm, really, because yeah. I left. I remember I had my bag packed. Um, the fans were outside calling for dealer's head after the game. I just snuck in the back door, bag on my back, got a lift with my mum and dad to the airport. 
So I didn't see the newspapers the next couple of days yeah. and stuff, the next couple of days training, which would have been tough for you. But then there was a yeah. long trip. Uh, I think we had two games, Yeovil in the Cup yeah. and Exeter, and we decided to stay down for the full week, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. But you were still in charge for the Yeovil? Yeah, yeah, still in charge, but that was the second game. Yeah. So I don't know how managed managed to let you in international duty. Did you go home for the weekend or did you? No, no, there was an in, definitely, I remember John Toshak taking the piss out of me. Um, there was oh, definitely an international yeah. game. I missed the Yeovil game. Right, okay. And then I rejoined with the squad uh, in the so, hotel in Exeter. Exeter. Yeah. So you missed... So, 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 yeah, what we did was um, we decided to go down there <coughs> and stay over because it was Yeovil Exeter, the, yeah. like, you know, 50 miles apart. So we decided to stay over and um, in doing so, it gave us that sort of bonding opportunity. Get away from the, but, the Yeah, storm, to get away yeah. from the press and everything. So obviously we went down on the, I think we went down on the Monday. It's a hell of a drive from Norwich. Um, overnight stay. And again, I mean, I was still hurting, you know, there wasn't much conversation with the lads. But, you know, we obviously had to pick a team, get ready for the Yeovil game. So again, I remember going into the, into the team meeting and, and basically just pulling the flip chart over. I said, right, that's the team tonight. I don't need to give you any team talk. I want you to go out there and just you know, win the game. And to be fair, 4-0 turned up. I think we changed the goalkeeper, unfortunately, Michael, um, you know, his, his debut in, in English football <laughs> wasn't the best. Um, yeah, it's quite ironic because he was goalkeeper of the year in Australia for two years before he came. Yeah. And then when he went back to Australia, he was goalkeeper of the year for three years. Yeah. And on the back of Bosnitches and Schwarzers and, and goalkeepers like that, who have all had the same accolade, um, obviously we were hoping for something better. Holti gets his hat-trick at Yeovil. Holti gets his hat-trick. Tom, Tom Adiemi made you, his debut. Did you then think, OK, I've survived? Um, well, actually, I, I had a meeting on the pitch with David McNally after that. We had a, we had a meeting and I was still trying to sign uh, two young lads from non-league football for the uh, for the academy. Yeah. They'd come on trial in pre-season, done well. Um, wanted to get them signed. There was something not right. There was something dragging on, yeah. and I said, "What's happening with these two young lads?" And like, you know, and I want to get someone else in, um, and, and it just like there was like something not right. So anyway, David hadn't said anything to me that night, but we won four 0 So on the back of that, you're thinking like, "All right, we'll um, we'll prepare for Saturday." So after the game, I let the lads have a beer in the uh, in the hotel. Went to bed at midnight. I think we got drawn in the next round against someone you at home. Swindon, maybe. So I, I don't know. Um, it, was no, a, it, it, it was. It was. It was actually no. It was. A, it was. A, it was. A, it was a, Swindon away. It was a on. Premier League team. Uh, Sunderland. 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 Yeah, I scored yeah. no goal in that yeah. game. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. Um, so uh, we got drawn. So it was, it, we had a beer and then we had a cheer. Took the lads out for an Italian meal the next night. I so think I joined you. Yeah, in, I was in back in the squad then. Went out for a meal. And then we trained at Exeter University. We got, uh, um, there was good pitches and that down there. So we made sure it was all done properly. And then on the Friday, um, I got a call in the morning from Kevin Flatt, who was the club secretary, saying that David McNally wants to, it's, it's coming down, he wants to meet you at one o'clock. So to be fair, I went out after the training session, me and Ian Butterworth, um, we were in the center of Exeter having a coffee, just talking about, I think we knew the kit man was leaving, so we were thinking about a new kit man. Um, we were talking about other positions that we felt we were short in. 
So it was all focused on that, and um, you know, we had a few ideas who to take in as kit man. So we we, we mulled over that, and then um, I said, right, I better go back. So I've got to meet the chief exec, and he said, what's he coming down for? I said, I don't know. I didn't actually think about it. I just thought, right, I'll, I'll go and meet him. And then actually, when I started thinking about it, um, you know, ten minutes before I went into the meeting, I said, he's, he's coming down to sack me. Um, which was quite ironic because um, I had two friends on the same flight who came down for the weekend and um, they, they, he never spoke to them in the airport. He was obviously sort of in sacking mode. He was like, his head was like, you know, he knows what he's going to do. So we had the meeting. Um, he told me the board had lost confidence in me. Um, I said, well, after one game, you know, I, I don't think that's right. He said, unanimous decision. I said, well, I, I don't think that's right either. Um, he, I said, look, okay, if you want to do it the right way, let's do it the right way. Um, he went away and said, he spoke to the board, he said, like, you know, he couldn't offer me a settlement. Um, so, what do you want to do? And I said, well, you're going to sack me. Sack me then. And then, sack me, and then that was it. As, as so, that, I know you, you say there's no regrets of taking the job, but the way that was handled, I know... You know, as a player at that time, David McNally had come in as a chief, chief executive and seen as a bit of a um, troubleshooter. Yeah. You know, he didn't care if he upset people. But the manner that you were sacked, the fact that we were away in Exeter, I think the thing we were discussing afterwards as players, did, did you have to book your own train ticket to no, head back no, on the train? No, no, I think that's, a, that, that's, that's a myth. something that's a myth, yeah. And um, Kevin Platt had actually done it, so... I think Kevin Platt was obviously in on the whole scenario. He had to get there's a train ticket waiting for you, blah blah blah. Um, so yeah, so that was that was a myth, but at the same time, it was like it could happened. Been, could have been handled differently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think what I think is um, obviously the course of the game was a blip. Uh, we were back on the uh, back on the road again against Yeovil, and they had to do it as quickly because. He obviously saw the performance. He saw the spirit. Yeah. Um, you know the the, the change in um, you know attitudes, and then I think he thought he had to do it before the extra game because we were on and won all the games that month. I mean, it's the last I, thing. I know, yeah. The last thing I asked for in my settlement with the league managers association uh, when they were doing it was the win, uh, was the the, the the bonus for winning the league because I knew you were going to win the league, and I think the last thing I said to you as players. When I left, is make sure you go and win the league. You know, prove prove me right and and, and them wrong that you're all good players and go and win the league. Yeah. Uh, that's the last thing I can remember saying. Um, and then I got the train back from Exeter to London to London to Norwich. Yeah, and I'm, six bottles of wine later, I, sure. I, I landed in Norwich Station. Did you keep <laughs> Did you keep the receipts? I mean, give I the club the expenses. I don't think I don't think I could have done that. I think I, I, it. it it was just one of those things. Um, I think we had phones because the mobile phones were obviously working in 2010, and um, I think my battery went very quickly. Had to get the. Unfortunately, I was in first class, so I had uh, I had a PowerPoint, so I keep constantly um, keep my phone charged. The only thing I remember, uh, one of the bad things I remember, was um, actually getting told I was sacked and then going back to my room um, I, I phoned Butts and Kreitz and Chippy all to come in and have a meeting in my room was then seeing the ticker tape so it was just within moments of like 
him telling me the ticker tape was going on Sky. So you, you as players yeah. probably would have been sitting in your bedrooms seeing the ticker tape. I don't, I don't know if anyone saw that, knew I was sat before we actually got into that room uh, for the meeting. Cause obviously how's, how's your emotions when that happens? Um, it was difficult, but I think obviously when you address a, you know, a group of players, you need to try and be as strong as possible. It's like, you know, um, it's happened, um, you know, I wish you all the best, go and prove me, go prove me right, go and win the league. And then your emotions kick in after that. After because yeah. I remember that I was going to ask, is that a blur? Do you remember giving that talk? I remember sitting there thinking, I just want to get up and give give the big man a hug. Here, yeah, but, yeah. You know, we're part of the problem why you've lost your job. But you you remember doing it, and then the emotions maybe hit you after. Yeah, I think I think probably on the train, you know, a couple of bottles of wine, um, a few phone calls. Um, you know, obviously as well. I mean. One of the one of the first people I phoned was my wife. Um, other one was Sir Alec Ferguson. Um, just said, "Well, what's your reckon?" He says, "Well, you know, don't resign. You know, make them sack you." And then obviously he was very strong with the uh, the League Managers Association, and he sent me Richard Bevan's number straight away. Yeah. So it was all pretty quick and and and, and then professional. So it was just those embarrassment then going back to see your. Uh, I mean, the kids were. The kids were growing up, you know, they were, um, what were they now, Angus was 16, 14, 15, 16, so, you know, he, it hurt him because he was an Norwich fan, um, it hurt my daughter because, again, at the beginning she did a Facebook campaign for me to be the manager, yeah. um, you know, rightly or wrongly, um, I don't think I got the job on the back of a Facebook campaign, yeah. but it, it, um, it meant something, it meant to, something to, 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 to them about the situation and obviously my wife was disappointed because she was quite close with you know some of the board members at the club um, obviously the new regime came in, come in, come in and um, you know troubleshooting um, were there to do a job financially um, and also to get results yeah um, and then ironically Paul Lambert walked in the door yeah. another week after. And you end up in a position where you, you know you probably had a job for life in one way or the other at the club. But once you've been the manager and you and you get sacked, especially with someone like McNally in charge, you know the ties are cut almost. Yeah. It, it, was it a good thing for you to have that couple of years away from the club? Was it was there an element of bitterness that that crept in because he he as a man he wanted to change things, yeah. ambassadorial roles, and get rid of almost the history of the club. And, yeah, there was, was, was massive changes there. I mean, so, you know, again, um, even even if I stayed behind the scenes and was, in, uh, you know, the ambassador, I, I might not have lasted. I think, obviously, Jerry Goss was uh, was ambassador following me and then he left the club fairly fairly quickly. Um, you know, Darren Huckabee, you all know, like, he, he served the club well. Um, he was starting to do things um, for the academy and that. And, and then again, you know, the Hux Lounge was there, the Huckabee Lounge, so that, again, changed. Um, the dynamics of that so hey that's that's you know someone's got a job to do and um, a lot of people will say he's done his job very very well yeah. Uh, yeah. the club have you know eventually got back into the Premier League where you know they they, they deserve to be um, and again it's it's a balancing act then on the monies and how you you know build your squad and how you build a stadium how you do your infrastructure around you so um, but that's all part of my life now it's all part of our history um, I go back to the club now and I, I walk in the front door, um, you know, I, I see people who probably booed me 
on that day and you know um, I suppose they're all patting me on the back now because of um, my other circumstance now well there you go so that leads us nicely to it, it's weird how it works out if you would have stayed on as manager you would have obviously continued to live in Norwich yeah but it almost pushed you in the other direction in that in that time you lose your job yeah Angus moves to Man City yeah and you up sticks the whole yeah. family big change yeah move to the Manchester area yeah for him to start developing flourishing yeah and now he's back at Norwich and he's he's their goalkeeper yeah no it's quite it's quite ironic really because my daughter was going to the University of Manchester anyway and then um, we knew at the time there was a lot of interest in Angus certainly in the northwest um, through Liverpool through Kenny Dugleish he'd phoned me and um, I, I remember asking Kenny to do it the right way and, and phone the club and yeah. say, you know, register interest that way. Um, and then, you know, Angus was a Scotland youth international. Uh, Scotland, was he? Did I just say you Scotland? Wish. You wish. I just said Scotland, didn't I? I wish he was a Scotland youth international. He was an English youth international. So um, there was lots of clubs watching. And just at the time, it, it just felt that um, you know there was there was other opportunities out there, not only for um, for me, uh, for Susan, who's an artist, uh, my wife's an artist, so that was there. My daughter was moving to the Manchester area anyway. My wife is from the northwest, so there's a lot of signals coming just to say you know uh, have a look at this. And then obviously when Manchester City expressed an interest in Angus. Um, that was decided. And I think Norwich were disappointed. Um, I'm sure they probably understood um, the, the, the reason for leaving, but it was it was more so that it was an opportunity for Angus to further his football career. Yeah. Obviously, Norwich were a League One club at that time. Got promotion to the Championship. Probably the Championship club by the time the decision came round. And um, you know, I, Norwich have had a fair tribunal fee. So the, the uh, Angus's um, um, move to Manchester City was a compensation. So they got their tribunal money. They still receive money every time he plays for Manchester City. Yeah. If he gets into an England squad, Norwich will receive money. So in many ways, they're actually helping themselves at the moment because you know. They're, I'm sure, if he gets into the Scotland squad, it'd be you that gets the money. I, I'd, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. My old mate Alec McLeish, but um, you know, Angus was born in Norwich. Um, I said I've done my best by calling him Angus Fraser James Gunn, <laughs> uh, but um, he feels English, and yeah. you know, he's had that opportunity. And my dad once said as well to Angus, look, Angus, when he was about twelve, so you get the chance to play for England or Scotland. He says, make sure you pick England because you'll make more money. Yeah. And that's from a true Scotsman. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was James William Donald Gunn, so we couldn't have named him any, any, any more Scottish. But, you know, it, it's great. Uh, it's all down to ability. And um, the fact that he's a Manchester City goalkeeper is highly thought of by the best manager in the world at the moment, um, you know, Pep Guardiola. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's a backup to the likes of Ederson and Bravo. He's, 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 a, he's a backup to um, Ederson, who's again a top young goalkeeper at 24. Um, you know, so there's, not, there's still opportunities to match the city, um, but he needs to play football. And yeah. I think it's been a great year from, you know, from um, Angus's point of view, from coming back to his old club, probably loved, um, being part of some pretty great moments you know the derby wins against Ipswich um, you know he's been part of you know a rebuilding of a squad 
um, and he's connected with the fans. Um, you know, the, he's got a song which um, is obviously his song, but I managed to get a mention in it as well. Yeah. So you know, that's that's nice that that's been reconnected. Uh, as I said to you, like you know, I, I go to games and, and people come up and thank me for you know the opportunity that um, Norwich have got of, of, of having Angus back and for making him. And for making him, yeah, 22 years ago, um, and he, you know, he, he he he'd love to play for Norwich again in the Premier League, you know, yeah. but I just can't see that happening next season. Yeah, um, you know, as we speak now, they're sitting mid-table, and um, you know, they've got um, you know 10 games left. They need to win all 10 to even have a chance of making the playoffs. But you know. Angus will never forget Norwich, and I'm sure if there's an opportunity to play for them in, in, in the um, in the future, you know he'd he'd, he'd grab it. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's nothing's made me prouder than seeing Angus, you know, line up on the you know the first game of the season away at Fulham, um, which was his first ever competitive game. Yeah, and and looked like he'd actually played 150. I was going to ask you, know, do you, do you feel additional pride that he's in that Norwich shirt? You, you'd be proud regardless wherever he plays, whatever level, but because he's I'm, in that Norwich shirt for this season. I'm, 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 I'm delighted it's happened, not only for me and his, his mum and, 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 and his sister, girlfriend Phoebe now as well, but for himself, because I think he probably felt that we took something away from him back yeah. then, and that something was an FA Youth Cup medal, right? because the team that he left, Two seasons later, went on and won the FA Youth Cup, and Angus was at Manchester City at the time, getting beat in the first round by Hereford and getting really? beat in the second round by Fulham. And you know, Manchester City were just building their academy up. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've been there and we've seen the facilities they've got. And um, you know, looking back at the decision, um, I, I don't, I don't think I would have changed it for anything, yeah. or we would have changed it for anything because. Although Angus was only 15, he was part of the process and he knew what we were doing and we were doing it for his benefit. And um, But it's great that Norris City have been part of that development as well and um, it will only help them in the future somehow. You know, if he does, if he does play for Manchester City's first team or if he does play for England, um, you know, Norwich's uh, compensation will be yeah. um, millions rather than hundreds of thousands. Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that England cap will come sooner rather than later if he if he carries on doing what he's what he's doing. What, what about you now, Gunny? What's what are you up to? What's what's next? What's the plans? Uh, well, for the last seven years, I've been um, director of talent recruitment at um, a sports agency called Triple S Sports and Entertainment Group. Um, we look after uh, management of uh, professional football players. Um, Wayne Rooney is one of our top clients. Um, currently, our, um, our England um, hopeful for Russia this year is Harry Maguire. So we developed Harry from when he was um, when he was 17. So um, again, he was picked up on the. And a good FA Youth Cup run. Uh, they got to the final. Sheffield United got to the final against Manchester United, and um, you know we were uh, asked by Harry's parents to to look after his, um, his manage his future. And um, you know I'm delighted to say that I still go and watch Harry play in the Premier League, and uh, obviously Angus playing the Championship. Um, but we've got you know d developing the careers uh, alongside their clubs. Um, of top young players and hopefully some of the experiences I've had um, through my football experience as a manager through my 
scouting experience um, for professional football clubs. Um, you know, lends its hand to the agency when we go and watch games. We pick up other players on the back of that. We we do our, our work professionally. We do it like a football club. And um, as I say, we, we we try then to manage the the careers of the of the young lad uh, and, and and support of the family. Um, obviously, once they grow up into their you know their mid twenties, they'll they'll have their own life to lead and they'll have their own family to look after. And um, you know we can continue that development then as well. Beautiful. Before I, before I let you get off, anything to plug? The big game in this. Uh, big game on twentieth of May, uh, Carrow Road, um, Norwich City Legends of '93. Uh, plus oh, a I few. I was going to say before the '93 came in. Yeah, I, I yeah. Was thinking I was in. You might have got in. You might have got in. <laughs> of the '93, '92, '90. I thought '93, '92, '93 league um, when we qualified us for the UEFA Cup run. But we beat Vitesse Arnhem, beat Bayern Munich. Unfortunately, got beat by Inter Milan. But we thought Inter would be the best team to invite back. They've got so many legends that still play in their charity matches, and uh, we're looking forward to sort of the likes of um, Francesca Toldo, um, Zanetti. Unfortunately, he's going to be going to the World Cup. He's going to be doing a job there. Um, Jurgen Klinsmann's maybe playing. Luis Figo. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of top names are coming over to Carra Road. So. I'm in the process now. I've got ten weeks and five days to uh, get fit for the game. Yeah. And um, as you see today, we've been drinking water, peppermint tea, had a starter for main course, and um, I'm hoping to get onto that pitch for at least 22 and a half minutes because I've got three other goalkeepers in the squad as well. Yeah. So I'm not taking any chances. I could be on for uh, five minutes, could be on for ten minutes, but hopefully 22 and a half at least. You're starting? I'm starting. So I'm, I'm assuming Martin O'Neill's not the manager? Martin O'Neill's not the manager. Mike Walker's the manager. I don't tell anyone. It's not been, it's not been announced yet, but uh, the Silver Fox is the manager. <laughs> um, you might as well put it on, so it doesn't matter. But we'll be the manager. Um, we've managed to stir him up from his sunbed in Greece and um, he's going to come over and, and, and be with us but uh, yeah we've got 95% of the lads coming back and uh, we just need some young legs on the pitch as well but you've told me that you only last 10 minutes in a game now so <laughs> your, your legs aren't needed on the day but uh, no we're looking forward to it um, it's, it'll be great to get all the old lads back together you know from 25 years ago yeah and I'm sure you in 25 years time will probably meet up with some of those Norwich lads I know you do on regular occasions anyway and just relive some of those memories of the of the good times in your career and um, you know you, nobody can take away your memories sounds good Gunny well it's been a pleasure sitting down having a chat having a catch up thank man. you very much thanks Owen thank you very much well Tom. done there we go big thank you to Gunny for his time busy man looking after these players some big names uh, that he has to tend to their every need uh, but always good to to sit down to chat um, he, he is a gentleman no doubt about that and uh, good to get his thoughts on especially that that tough period one his life as a professional footballer two you know being a proud dad of an outstanding young goalkeeper now in, in Angus um, but obviously that that period where, where I got to know him um, which which probably was arguably the, the toughest period of his of his career and his life so always good to catch up hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, don't forget to leave a review, leave a rating, subscribe. Norwich fans jumping on board, get on board the Longman's Football World podcast bandwagon. Join the club. Till next time, thank you very much.